The Where Our Minds Wander podcast may contain sensitive content. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings, fellow wanderers, to the places our minds wander. The house at the end of the dirt road where disembodied voices whisper and strange sounds make the living shiver. Where shadows lurk at the edge of the woods, just outside your back door. And mysterious lights speed beyond reason across the clear night sky. Odd events throughout time that lead you down the rabbit hole. I'm Wes. And I'm Beth. And this is Where Our Minds Wander. Greetings, all you fellow wanderers. And welcome to an evening of tales so creepy, so dark, so horrible, that they must be based on urban legends. For there's no truth to these tales, no hint of true local history, not one single record or document that proves even a shred of our tales are true. And yet, the urban legends that are the basis for our tales have existed for decades, passed down from generation to generation. But don't worry. They're just make-believe. All urban legends are. But then again, that doesn't mean that there isn't a shred of plausibility or truth in them. So sit back, get comfy, maybe even get that favorite blanket to pull up over your head. Things get a little too creepy. Make It Count, based on the 100-step cemetery legend, Cloverland, Indiana. Some of the gravestones in Carpenter Cemetery are very old. Some of them date back to the Civil War era, so the dead have been here for a very long time. Who knows when Carpenter Cemetery became known by its other name, the 100-steps cemetery. The ghosts there certainly aren't going to tell you. But if you dare enter the cemetery at midnight and climb the 100 steps, you should heed our warning. It is very, very important that you count each step aloud as you go. Ignore the wind in the trees. Block out the strange feeling that there are eyes all around you watching. Pretend that the dark shadows are just your imagination. Focus all your attention on your feet on each step you climb, and keep track. Because if you do, if you count very carefully, the caretaker from long ago, who has been dead for many, many years, will appear in front of you. Looking deep into your eyes, he will share a vision with you. Yes, the vision will frighten you, disturb you, sadden you, because he will show you exactly how and when you will die. But it's okay. If you listened to us, if you counted all 100 steps as your feet touched upon them, then all is well. You now have a chance to change your future death. But if you didn't, if you miscounted, if nervous laughter made you forget which step you were on, well, we can't say we didn't warn you. The phantom caretaker now has no choice but to end your life right now.
Don't Say Her Name, based on the legend of Lucinda, Burlington, Iowa. Ben's traveled Stony Hollow Road a dozen times. He knows every curve, every tree, every fence. He knows when the road dips and his headlights will be lost in the shadows. But tonight, he's feeling reckless. Maybe it has something to do with his girlfriend's father mocking his job for the hundredth time. Maybe it has something to do with being bored with his boring life. Maybe he just wants to prove something to himself. He doesn't analyze why he slows down and parks in the middle of the lonely country road. As he opens the car door and gets out, he does it without even thinking. It's when he stands there in the dark, with nothing but his headlights to see by. This is when he pauses. He laughs to himself and shakes his head. So stupid, he mumbles. But then, without knowing why, he takes a deep breath, squares his shoulders, and says loudly, Lucinda, Lucinda, Lucinda. He waits a beat, and as the crickets grow loud and the wind blows, he shakes his head again. So stupid, he says, louder this time. It's a tiny movement. At first, he thinks he's totally imagined it. But as he stares down the road, illuminated by the headlights, he is sure now. There really is a young woman walking up the road towards him. Her long, white dress. Or is it a nightgown? Billows in the light breeze. His breath catches as she seems to almost glide across the pavement. Hello, he calls out. But she doesn't answer. She doesn't even seem to notice him. Suddenly, Ben is overwhelmed with despair as his brain registers thoughts that don't seem to be his own. She's heartbroken. Always has been. It's not her fault. Yes, she jumped from that cliff years ago, but she still can't find the man who broke her heart, no matter how long she's looked. The two figures are just a foot apart now, the living man and the ghost of Lucinda. She raises her hand, and from somewhere in the folds of her white dress, she's pulled out a single red rose. She holds it out, as if she wants Ben to take it. Unsure what to do, he raises his arm, his fingertips just about to brush the fading red petals. Before he can take the flower from her, she lets go. The rose seems to drop in slow motion. He watches transfixed, as it lands at his feet. Then, Lucinda grasps his fingers in her cold hand. She tugs gently, leading him away from his car. He never looks back as she guides him down the road with her. He doesn't see his body on the road, laying right there where the red rose had fallen, its bloom now crushed beneath his weight. He doesn't notice that now he too seems to glide rather than walk. Grandma's Tale, based on the legend of Knock Knock Road, Strasburg Road, Michigan. 
I was 12 years old that summer as I sat beside my grandmother, shucking the sweet corn she'd promised to boil in milk for my dinner later that night. It was a warm afternoon and I was feeling drowsy. Have I told you the legend of the knock-knock girl in Knock-Knock Road? My grandmother asked as her strong hands peeled silk from the cobs. No, I replied, stifling a yawn. She was younger than you when she died. I perked up. What happened? It's a sad story. Maybe I shouldn't tell you. After several seconds of my pleading, I switched tack. I'm pretty grown up. I can handle it. Well, she said with a sigh, I was just a little girl, too. Summer of 1940. Her family didn't have a lot of money, but one day she was riding a new bike. It wasn't store-bought new, it was a hand-me-down, but it was new to her. I nodded, disappointed. This story is off to a dull start. She rode that bike everywhere, even to school, and then one day, she didn't come home. Her mama was awfully upset and stopped by here to ask me if I'd seen her. Grandma glanced at me before she continued. Her mama talked to my mama and asked to use our phone. Then she left. It was dark when her daddy came by, asking my dad if he'd help look for her. My daddy left, and it was hours before he came home. I was supposed to be in bed, but I snuck to the stairs and hid behind the banister to listen. Grandma paused to point her chin at the staircase, just outside the kitchen where we sat. They'd found her, on Strasburg Road. I'd never seen my daddy cry before. As the seconds filled with silence, I had to ask, what happened to her? They said someone hit her with their car. They just left her there, covered in dirt and grime. My grandmother's hands stilled in her lap. So sad. She shook herself, then looked at the dozen ears of corn we'd somehow shucked without realizing it. My goodness, how about we boil some of this now? It wasn't until I was tucked into bed and drifting off to sleep when it came to me. Grandma had never explained why they called her the knock-knock girl. The following morning was busy with breakfast and chores, and it just never felt like the right moment to ask Grandma to finish her story. Before I knew it, it had become afternoon, and my mom and dad arrived for dinner. The adults laughed and talked late into the night. Grandma insisted we all stay over, but Dad had to work the next day, so my week at Grandma's was over. As we drove through the dark, quiet streets, I felt strangely wide awake. My father turned onto the next road, and I just happened to glance up at the street sign. Strasburg Road. I'd never really thought about how many times I'd been on this road. My father slowed down again, coming to the stop sign. What on earth? My mother said. Dan, do you see her? She gestured to the right. I looked out my window and chills ran down my spine. Standing at the side of the road, covered in dirt, was the saddest little girl I'd ever seen. What is she doing out here this late by herself? My mom wondered. She started to roll down her window. I cried, don't, mom! and hunched down in my seat at the same time. My mother twisted around to face me. Christy, she might need help. She doesn't, I thought. Where did she... 
My mother, confused, strained around to look. Is she gone? No sooner had I asked than my father gave a little yelp. Knock, knock, knock. My eyes darted towards my father's window. Somehow, without anyone seeing her, the little girl was now inches from our car, tapping on the window. She stared intently at my father with deep brown eyes. Knock, knock, knock. I screamed. My father jumped, hitting the horn. My mother let out a screech. Where did she go now? My father demanded. All three of us peered into the darkness. The knock-knock girl had vanished. Drive, Daddy, I cried. Please go. Our car pitched forward with a lurch, but as my father's nerves calmed down, he put many miles safely between us and knock-knock road. An hour later, we arrived home, bleary-eyed and exhausted. I couldn't sleep, though. Each time I closed my eyes, all I could see was the little knock-knock girl staring at me. Teaching a Lesson Based on the Legend of Heartbeat Bridge, Portal, Nebraska Heartbeat Bridge It sounds lovely, doesn't it? You can almost picture the wooden slats crossing the narrow, burbling stream back in the year 1900. Next to it stood a sweet little one-room schoolhouse, painted white, where each day children crossed the threshold with bright smiles on their faces, eager to learn. Good morning, the children greeted. Good morning, the teacher responded back. The children adored their teacher, and by all accounts, she was a lovely woman. Until one day, she wasn't. No one knows why she did what she did, why she picked up the axe leaning near the wood stove, or why she blocked the only exit, or why she began wielding that axe at the children until every single one of them was dead. No one knows why she placed each of their severed heads on their individual desk. Although locals will say that's just rumor, the severed head thing never happened. But what they will agree on is this. The school teacher removed each and every one of their hearts. But then, overcome with guilt, remorse, and disgust at what she had done, the teacher grabbed a heart in each hand and ran to the nearby bridge, dropping their grisly organs into the sparkling water below. She ran, sobbing, back and forth between the bridge and the schoolhouse until she had flung every last heart into the water. The schoolhouse is no longer there in Portal. It's been moved to another location. But... Heartbeat Bridge still is. Legend says that if you cross the bridge at night, you can hear the thump, thump, thump of all those students' hearts still beating. And on certain nights, if you're lucky, you may even catch a glimpse of the ghostly form of the schoolteacher wandering along the bank. Racked with guilt, she still searches for her students perhaps hoping they'll forgive her.
the quarter, based on the ghost boy of Clinton Road legend, Passaic County, New Jersey. Diary Entry, October 30th, 2016 Everyone around here knows the story of the ghost boy of Clinton Road. It's like a rite of passage that we go do the stupid coin thing. I don't care what Kelsey says, it's all a bunch of crap, and I'm going to prove it to her. I'm not dumb enough to throw just any coin off the bridge. There's got to be a million 2016 pennies out there. I'm going to use a 1975 quarter I found, and just to be extra sure, I took my Sally Hansen spice nail polish and drew a line right across George Washington's face. It's drying right now. Tyler's supposed to pick us all up tomorrow night at 7, so I'll do it then. Ooh, Halloween, spooky. Not. Diary Entry, October 31st, 2016 So, I did it. Tyler drove like an idiot, but he always does. There were five of us, Tyler and Kelsey in front, and then me, CJ, and CJ's stupid brother Noah in the back. Noah kept trying to make us jump scare the whole way there, but it didn't work. So, we found the bridge. Tyler swore it was the right one, and he retold the whole story all over again, even though we all know it. If you drop a coin by accident over the bridge into the water, the boy ghost will bring it back to you. Noah kept asking a bunch of questions, like, how did the boy die, and does it matter if you drop the coin on purpose or by accident? And does the coin reappear, like, right away on the ground or something? Or does the ghost boy figure out where you live so he can give it back? I'll admit, they were pretty good questions. Nobody knew the answers, of course, because, duh, the whole thing is fake. Kelsey said, maybe the boy ghost gets in the car with you and follows you home. CJ told her to shut up, and Tyler said he didn't know. The coin just comes back to you somehow. So we all got on the bridge and I took the coin out of my back pocket of my jeans and I showed it to everybody. I made up this dumb story about how it was my grandfather's. Then when Kelsey handed it back, I moved my hand at the last second so it bounced off my palm and kerplunk, it fell in the water. Noah wanted to know how long we had to wait. Tyler said, I don't know. But we all started looking on the bridge, spreading out so we covered it pretty quick. Big surprise, no coin. We all looked at the ground as we went back to the car. Nothing. As we got in the car, Kelsey told the ghost he better not sit up front with her, which, if he was real, was kind of rude. Ha ha. We went to the Halloween party at Logan's house, and now I'm home. It's like after 11, so I'm going to bed. Diary Entry, November 1st, 2016 Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. So, I'm like shaking, and I can't believe this, and I think I might puke. So, I went to bed last night, and I had this weird dream where this little boy from like the 1800s or something came into my room, and he was all wet. He didn't do anything, like, he just kind of stood there, and then I woke up and I had to pee. Kelsey calls, and she wants us to wear matching outfits at school today, and I hadn't washed my jeans from last night, but I said okay, and when I picked them up off the floor, I heard this clink sound. I'm thinking, no way, that's just, that can't be money. But it sounded like it, so I look around and under my desk where my chair is, I pick up this freaking quarter, and I'm going, no, there's no way, like, 
Just no. It's the same freaking quarter. Same year, and there's freaking spice nail polish right where I put it. The only thing I can think is somebody found it last night and didn't tell me, and then when I wasn't paying attention, they put it back in my pocket. But it kind of freaks me out that they could do that, and I wouldn't feel it. Continuation of entry. Later that day. I talked to everybody. None of them say they found it and put it back in my pocket. Like, they looked right in my eyes when they swore they didn't do it. Now... I'm really, really freaked out. How long did it take before it ended up in my pocket again? Like, right away? Or did the boy ghost follow me home and now he's here, in my house? I don't like this. Victor's Nightmare based on the Platte River death ship legend, Platte River, Wyoming. The fog rolled in thick one fall day in 1903 as Victor chopped wood in his front yard on the banks of the Platte River. He paused as the dense gray air swirled around him, blanketing out the walls of his sturdy house just 20 feet away. Out on the river, the fog rolled in great swaths until he couldn't see the water. He shivered and decided he was done chopping wood for the day. Shouldering his axe, he was about to pick up a log when something dark caught his eye. Piercing through the fog was a massive shape, blacker than the air. As Victor watched, the sound of a ship's bell and sailors met his ears. A ship, impossibly close to the shore, was slowly passing by. It parted the fog as it crept along, its mast and many sails covered in a thick white that glinted. Victor realized with a start that it was frost. With ten quick strides, he was at the riverbank, mouth agape, as the phantom ship appeared to stop dead in the water. There was no other way to describe it. But then on deck, the sailors appeared, their skin terrible pale blue. Their eyes glazed over with ice. Frost clung to their hair and beards. Victor tightened his grip on his axe. These ice-covered sailors continued their work, hefting a canvas shroud, heavy with a fallen comrade. Victor tried to tear his eyes away as the sailors managed to lean it on one side of the great ship, but he couldn't. Right before their last heaving effort, the flap of canvas flipped back to reveal the dead man's face. It was a face Victor knew well. It was Pete, his best friend since age six. Pete happened to live a half a mile east. Pete, who was alive and well just yesterday. Victor dropped the axe where he stood and ran to his barn saddling up his horse. Minutes later, he jumped from the saddle and raced up the cabin steps, not pausing to knock on the door. He stood just inside the threshold, scanning the small main room. Embers smoldered in the fireplace, unattended. Pete's good thick coat hung on the peg beside the door, his boots still 
ready beneath it. Pete, Victor called out. Victor crossed the room in four quick strides, pausing in the doorway of the tiny bedroom. His face crumpled. Oh, Pete. His friend lay on his back, on his still-made bed, his unblinking eyes wide open. His hands and face had already taken on a bluish hue. Tiny flakes of frost covered his eyelashes and eyebrows. They sparkled in the hairs of his beard. The death ship of the Platte River had taken another soul. And so, fellow wanderers, we've come to the end of our tales. Like we said, not a word of them is true. But the urban legends behind them continue to be retold from one generation to the next. And so, in that way, they continue to live on. And who knows? Perhaps as more and more people choose to believe them, they become the truth. Isn't that how it works? What we shared tonight are stories from our book, 13 Creepy Urban Legends. So if you'd like to read all 13 of them, you can find the book by going to our website, whereareminswander.com, and clicking on the Our Books tab. And the link will bring you right there to Amazon Kindle. So the tales were a lot of fun to write, and we hope that they were a lot of fun to listen to. And with that said, that about wraps it up for this episode of Where Our Minds Wander. Yes, happy Halloween, everyone. Join us next week for all new episode of Where Our Minds Wander. See you soon.